How many times in the bill have we heard the line, I want to speak to someone in charge? Well, today I'm so lucky to say that I have an interview with the inspector. I'm in the company of one of this country's finest actresses who for over two years was top of the bill. Barbara Thorne, welcome to the Bill Podcast. Oh, hello, Ollie. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Barbara. I'm chuffed to have you. Oh, well, I'm chuffed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to John Isles for hooking us up. Yes, thanks, John. Now, as well as a very long acting career, you were also an executive coach? Yeah, an executive communications coach. Most people will find themselves in the workplace somewhere or other and wonder why people are not taking the instruction that they've been given or people might be needing to give big presentations Mm. and if you think about it nobody really has ever been taught that we never got taught that at school Mm. so you find people in organizations who are terrified about getting up and speaking or feel that they're not very good at what they say or feel that they should be funny and they think that they're not funny and all of that kind of stuff. I'd been doing similar kind of stuff for quite some years, maybe mainly with actors. Mm. And I started to then work in the big grown-up corporate world. I love it. I really enjoy doing it. I've worked with very, very, very senior people in their game. And it's taken me all across the globe. So I've been to Arizona, I've been to Singapore, I've been to uh, Kuala Lumpur, I've been to most of the countries in Europe, I've been to Western Siberia, I've been to Oklahoma. (laughs) I've been to these amazing places, which I would never have dreamed, you know, I'm not going there on holiday, but uh, it's been amazing. And as I've been doing that, I then became very interested in intercultural communication and how people get very hung up about how do I speak to someone if I'm in Japan and in fact it's quite I say it's quite easy but it's quite easy for someone like me who's an actor who does think about how you approach people or how you can be funny in the midst of giving a greeting to a group of a thousand people so what I do is I work with these people and I film them and what happens is then when I play it back they are pleasantly surprised mostly that there are lots of things that they do naturally that they didn't know because people don't tell you and then they can also work out for themselves well I could improve that and I say yeah you can so but that's the bit that we'll work on it's great fun and I've learned so much from it and I've I love being with all these different nationalities and and hearing you know the things that bother them which are not the same things that necessarily bother us Mm. and of course in a way the great thing is most of the world does speak English Mm. if they didn't I wouldn't be doing that (laughs) job (laughs) (laughs) so quite often I just say look I take my hat off to all of you because most of the people I work with speak 
you know, not just one language, but sometimes three or four languages. Mm. And everyone is so relieved if they've lost their nerves, they've lost the anxiety that they have about speaking to large groups of people. And then off they go and they develop on their own. Yeah, which must be a nice feeling for yeah, you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And lots of them stay in touch and send me little emails and tell me what they've just been doing. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Is there like a, a common theme on people's insecurity, do you find? Is it just the, the amount of people they need to speak to? or They say that there are certain things that are the most stressful things in our lives, which is divorce, moving home, a death in the family, and giving a presentation at work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it builds up in people. It, you know, the idea that they've got this awful thing to do and of course it makes them even more and more nervous. Mm. But if they are able to work with it and start to hear the response that they get from people, then that encourages them to do it more. I imagine you're very, very good at this. I must say, <laughs> I, I can picture you in action. So that's the, here and now, you're, you also teach at the Guildhall School of Acting? Yeah, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. So I don't do very much with the, the music school, but I do a lot with the, the actors. And I have now worked with a lot of, now they are very big names. Mm. So when I start working with them, and Guildhall have this very good way of looking after the students they only take 23 students a year and every student has a professional actor to buddy them in the last year that they're there and of course they're always broke and I take them out for coffee or we go and have a bite to eat now they are so famous that they come back and say you're right you can take me to the ivy I'll have a cocktail to start with and then let's order the champagne yeah Oh, wow. And that's lovely because, again, this year, two of our students have gone into the Harry Potter show. They said to me, oh, we're doing a, a final dress rehearsal before the first night tomorrow. Would you like to come? So I went and saw the first part in the afternoon. And then there's a little break and you go off and have dinner somewhere and then come back and see part two. Oh, gosh, it was so wonderful. The show is amazing, I have to say. Mm. There's something about seeing people disappear before your very eyes on a stage. And you think, how did they do that? I was glued to it, and I'm very proud of them. Another one of my students, he's at the Globe Theatre. So he emailed me straight away. I'm at the Globe. I'm in um, Much Ado About Nothing. He said... Let me know, I'll get you a ticket. And I come and see all these shows, it's wonderful. Fantastic. And of course then, Michelle Dockery was one of my students, and she's, well, we we know how successful she's being. Jodie Whittaker wasn't one of my students, but she's the the new doctor. doctor. It's just um, amazing to be with them Mm. all. And the great thing about, I think having a small group of people and the basis of the training at Guildhall is all about being part of an ensemble. Mm. So they are so supportive of each other. In a way, it reminds me exactly of what it was like on the bill. Because we are all different, and there's always a, a very positive attitude with the groups at Guildhall. 
And I, they amaze me. I mean, I just look at them in their productions and it's a fabulous training that they get. From my day when I was training, it's very, very different because they are much more confident, they're much more assured, they're more grown up, they're more mature than I remember myself being when I was at drama school. And when did you first get the acting bug, mm. think? Well, I, I tell you when it was because... I was brought up in Chelsea. I'm not a Chelsea girl. I'm not I'm not a Sloney girl, but my family are Londoners and mum and dad rented a lovely place and that's where I was brought up and I went to school in the Boltons. Do you know? Have you heard of the Boltons? No, because no, you're not a London boy, no, are you? I'm not. I'm a anyway, Plymouth boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so every year, like lots of schools, they used to put on a little pantomime and every year I wanted to be in it. And every year I got ill, sick. Oh, I never no. got in it. So that was the very beginning of the seed. Yeah. Anyway, I never got to do a pantomime. Even as a grown-up, I've never got to do a pantomime. And then I went to my secondary school and I loved art and used to volunteer to do the scenery and all that stuff. And... On one of the boards, I hadn't seen it before, but on one of the boards it said, we are going to do a production, a Shakespeare production of Twelfth Night, and we want you to put your name down if you want to be in a leading part or a middle-sized part or a very small part. Next thing I know, I'm told by the deputy headmistress, congratulations, Barbara. I said, oh, thank you. Well, what, bye. She said, well, you're going to be playing Viola in Twelfth Night. I said, am I? (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't put myself up. One of my friends thought it would be a jolly good laugh. (laughs) So I ended up being in Twelfth Night. Then I discovered that the deputy headmistress herself was an actress. She went to Lambda, London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. No way. Then it went on from there. And, And the most extraordinary thing about that the headmistress the deputy headmistress various other tutors teachers rather all encouraged me to go and supported me which I thought was amazing I don't know if people do that or certainly didn't do it then well they must have seen something in you well I don't know (laughs) and so there have been no acting genes in the family not really however one Christmas I was at my parents and the telly was on and there was an old black and white film on. My grandmother was there and my grandmother said to my mum, oh, look, that's Uncle Dick's film. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And it transpired that Uncle Dick, which was one of my grandmother's brothers, (laughs) he had put up a whole load of money for this film called The Pot Boilers with Ronnie Fraser. Wow. Nobody had thought to tell me this. <laughs> That's the only connection, really. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, another Fraser. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> can you remember doing Twelfth Night? I, mean, I you, do yeah. remember doing yeah. it. Terrified. And, and also, at the end of it, elated. Mm. Mm. Which is what I still feel, really. Oh. Terrified at the beginning, elated at the end. Yeah. So what happened next? Did you have to get your equity card and all that sort of stuff? Yes, so I then went off. I was told by lots of people that I needed to get another skill. So I went and did a 
secretarial course, which I hated. And I then went to, uh, I got a job at the Lincoln Theatre Royal, where I was an assistant stage manager, and I did some work in the office. And somehow I got the equity card from that. And then I came back and I was uh, assistant stage manager again at Watford Palace Theatre. And I was part of a musical called Happy as a Sandbag, which was at the Ambassadors Theatre. And I was an understudy there. And then I went to drama school and the drama school gave me Tuesday afternoon and Thursday afternoons off to be at the show. And I used to get let out early, <laughs> let out from school oh. early. You were popular. And then, then it just went on from there, really. And who would you say are your big influences? Who, Which actors did anyone inspire you to think, oh, I'd like to follow in their footsteps? Not really. No, no. No, I just knew what I liked. Or... Yeah. I, I still don't have people that I want to be like. Mm. There are people who whose work I admire. You, yeah. you were out on your own, which, yes. is, which is very Fraser, actually. Yes. You did say you, you, in your last episode, you still don't get it, do you, Frank? I want to do it on my terms, in my way. And that's so very Barbara synergy. Thorne as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. Okay, though, so how did you break into TV? You did loads of work before you joined the Bill, so yeah. how, how did you make that first break into, into television? Oh, right, so I'd been doing lots of theatre around, you know, around the country, and I was getting frustrated that I hadn't broken into television. And I can't remember why, but I wrote, I saw something come up somewhere. And it was Len Dayton's Game, Set and Match. Mm. And it was being made at Granada. And I decided to write a letter to the director. And I said, this is what I've been doing, and I really would like to start working in television. And I'd be very grateful if you would, you know, meet me and so yeah. on and so forth. And he did. And he just said, yeah, that, there is a part I can cast you for, and everyone's got to start somewhere. Yeah. And he gave me this little part. Yeah, Doris. Yes. Yeah, looking after Ian Holmes' yes, children. Yes, that's right. Yeah, wow. And so what was that experience like? Terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. I mean, I was overawed with all the people who were on that that yeah. anyway. And I was overawed with all the technology of it. Mm. So I kind of kept quiet, you know, yeah. watched a lot and just got on with it. Mm. Yeah. A quite iconic series you have a part in, The Tripods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember much about The Tripods? Oh, I do, I do, yeah. I do. I never realised that it became such a, a big thing. Mm. And my dear friend Graham Theakston was directing that. And I met Graham because I did a show with a company called The National Theatre of Brent. And it was um, Patrick Barlow who set it up, and the idea was that we would take huge epic events and make them into a show. <clears throat> the show we happened to do, and there were only ever three people in the, each cast, and I was the only woman that ever did one for the National Theatre Brent, and we did the story of the Black Hole of Calcutta. Wow. <laughs> 
how does that work? Well, we, kind of, we worked with a writer called Bryony Lavery, and we came up with how, how we could make the story work. And we very much had our own characters, and, and between the three of us, it kind of gelled. So Bryony kind of put it into some kind of vague script, but the idea is, is that once we are there doing this show we use the audience to interact with us. So we make them part of the, the fighters or, you know, they're going to be the Indians and they're going to be somebody else. And they all get up and they join in. Oh, it was a fantastic time. We, we again travelled around the UK. When we worked, we, we'd been doing it so often and we were so secure in it. We would notice if the audience warmed to one of our characters more than the other. Because if they did, we'd just let that happen. Again, it was it was one of those dream, dream jobs. Mm. Graham Theakston was the one who was filming The Black Hole of Calcutta. Because it was at the, the time of Pamela Stevenson and all of that crowd. It, everything had become very alternative. So Graham, Graham filmed that. And then he got the job of directing the tripods and he called me up and he said, I've got a part for you. (laughs) Had a very near escape because they had built this huge set at the BBC and Dory had to come up these stairs with a tray of stuff and then coming down the stairs was some baddie and I was told that I had to put my foot out and then they fall over. What I didn't know was that the person who was coming towards me was actually a stuntman. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was teetering on the edge of the set, which there was a sheer drop. Anyway, I put my foot out, you know, and he tumbled down. I managed to get my balance and that was all over. But a very big lesson was learnt from that because people did say to me, my advice to you is never, ever work with a stuntman because stunt people do it full blast. Yeah, <laughs> Where yeah. you're an actor and you're, all you're doing is putting your foot out mm, and yeah. then taking you with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a television centre? Yes. Oh, that must have been very special. It, oh, it was. Uh, it was such a sad day when they decided to dismantle all of that. I can imagine what the... Well, Maybe you can tell me, what did it smell like? What did it feel like to work in that, <laughs> in that building, you know, which, which our, a whole generation now won't get to do? Yes. Yeah, it must have been... My very first time there, you kind of walk in and you see all these people who you've seen on telly. Yeah. And again, you know, filled with awe. Oh, my goodness, I don't know what to say to them and I've never done this before. And they put you in your own little dressing room, which was quite lonely. If you were in there on your own and you had to, you know, listen for when they're going to ask you to come out and go down the corridors and go to stage three or whatever it was, it was fantastic. And and everything was there, you know, the wardrobe was there and all the costumes that they could lay their hands on, mm. it, it, it was unique. I don't think there's been any place like it before or since. <laughs> Another BBC show uh, yeah. you did before the Bills, Grange Hill. 
Yes. <laughs> I can't even remember yeah. what I did then. I think I was you a teacher. A computer teacher. Oh, was I? Yeah. God, I, I wish I was a computer yeah, teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't in that for very long, was I? No, I think it was just an episode. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. Now, this is what you do. This is how you turn it on. That would have been it. <laughs> how did you come to be joining... The regular cast of the bill in 1988 what what circumstances led to that i had an agent and it wasn't working out terribly well with the agent so i joined what was called a cooperative agency of which there were quite a few popping up julie waters was a member of one so the idea was that actors got together everything was done very legitimately but you ran the office or you took turns of doing that And I happened to be in the office where this casting came through. The bill, an actress in her early 30s, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So I then said to my colleagues in the office, has anyone put me up for this? (laughs) And they're like, no, you're kidding. No, we haven't. So I said, well, have you got any problem if I put myself up for it? They went, no, you can. So I did put myself, I was very truthful. I didn't big myself up. And next thing I know, I was asked the next day to go in for a meeting. So I went in, had a meeting with the casting director, who I'm still in touch with now. He now lives in Australia. And then it progressed from there. And then I met two of the producers. And then I met the executive producer. They said, have you got a show reel? No, I hadn't. So I went away and I got little bits and pieces and put them... I didn't do it, somebody else did it. And, um, yeah, that was it. And I I was in. Wow. And how much on your radar had the bill been? Had you seen any of the the previous three series that had been on? No, I hadn't. So what they did was that they gave me all these videotapes. (laughs) And that's how I spent my evenings, you know, hours long of watching all these bill episodes which was fantastic because i then got to know who the characters were got to know what the kind of stories were it was lovely that was very very exciting and then i went in they were launching their autumn season and i was asked to kind of be the face of the autumn season so i went and did that and there i was i was in and you, you were joining at the same time as Eamon Walker and Ben Roberts. Oh, Ben, I knew, because Ben and I went to drama school together. Oh, how wonderful. Yes, oh. but we didn't know each other was in it oh. until we were actually on the set. Oh, no way, that's great. <laughs> yeah. You were at loggerheads of him throughout, really, weren't you? Well, Hemsworth. that was good because we had known each other <clears throat> yeah. for so long and we were very, very good friends anyway. Mm. So all those arguments that we had... It didn't really matter. No, no. Because it was just... (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) I'm the one who's in charge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and how similar are you to to Christine Fraser? And what did you enjoy about playing her? Obviously, in any kind of part like that, where they've given you more or less free reign. I mean, when I went for the the meeting, they, they said that she you know, is set her sights high. And I also met another policewoman who they had actually based her on. Judy, her name was. And in fact, we were quite similar. So I think there were quite a few similarities. I mean, I 
I could be very brusque if I needed to. Mm. The differences, I don't know about many of the differences. But what I did enjoy was the the episodes then were just so magnificent. Fantastic writing, extraordinary stunts, and I did enjoy all of that. I think, again, the fact why the bill has been so successful is that in my time, I think there were only 13 of us there as regular cast. Mm -hmm. And we were all different, all different. So there's no no kind of envy about, you know, oh, I should be doing this or they should be doing that. We were just all taking what we had and delivering the writing. And then, of course, the writers started to get to know our personalities and write towards that a little bit more. Must have been a marvellous time. It was, and as as everyone has been saying, we never stop laughing, and we still don't. And the other thing was that we'd be working long, long hours. Then most evenings when we wrapped, we all went to the pub and continued (laughs) (laughs) laughing. And then we'd get invited to fates and fairs and charity do's, and we'd all turn up with those. So we were always with each other, all of the time. And the chemistry shows on screen, doesn't it? I mean, mm. I, I really love this era. Of, I mean, you must have rubbed your hands together sometimes opening a script and oh, thinking, yes. oh, I've got this to do yes. this week. Wow. Yeah. Were you working on multiple episodes all at once? Were you doing one at a time? No, or? we were... I mean, when I first joined, we were doing two. We were working on two. Then when they started to do add others, so we'd have special episodes... There were times when I'd be working, as indeed were the others. You could be doing it four episodes in one week. And then we had fantastic stage management and people guiding us to where we needed <laughs> to go and shoving, you know, the script in your hand. What script is it? Is it, is it the red one or the blue one? You know. <laughs> so <laughs> once you kind of get into the way of doing it, it mm. just takes its own momentum, really. You had great moments right from the start. You try and assist Graham Cole in your first episode of Light Duties in your civvies and he moves you along. <laughs> you, you get one up on him in the station when he realises that you're the new governor and the look on his face. And then Tony Scandal tries to make a move on you in the pub. <laughs> he says, oh, <clears throat> sorry, Mum. You know, <laughs> it's fantastic humour right, right, from, yeah. right from the off. In your second episode, Free Wise Monkeys, you get to have a go at Tony Scandal. <laughs> you point your pips on your, your Sergeant B, tell me my way is better than yours. You know, I mean, it must have, it must have been so much fun oh, to, yeah, to it play was. that part. But also in real life, because I would drive myself to the studio And I was driving, it was a sunny day, and I was going through Battersea. I was getting under some kind of railway bridge, and on the other side was a policeman stopping people. And I looked at my watch and I thought, oh no, God, I hope they don't stop me. I've got to get there, I've got to be there by seven o'clock, whatever it was. And he did, he pulled me over. So I had my sunglasses on, (laughs) I took my window down, and he said, "Um, good morning, he said... "Um, Can I ask you, do you know what two white lines in the middle of the road means? I said, oh, no, I don't. I'm sorry. What what does it mean? He said, it means that you shouldn't go over them. I said, oh, okay, right, I'm really, really sorry. At which point he then goes to his pocket to get his pencil and his little pad out. 
And I'm thinking, oh no, this is going to be so embarrassing. Not only am I going to be late, but I'm going to (laughs) be, they're going to take my details because I've done something wrong. At which point I then took my sunglasses off and he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, (laughs) mum. That's brilliant. Um, That happened more than once. I mean, I (laughs) used that happened more than once. And it was very funny. And of course, on set, we did have police advisors all the time. And, you know, you're in your out, you're in your policeman's outfit and they just see the pips on their, their, "Mm, (laughs) mum. And the fame element for for you, presumably you started getting recognised by the members of the public once once you were off and running in it. How was that to deal with? I don't know. I mean, I've... There is a way that you can, if you want to be anonymous, you can, which is by not looking at people, really, Mm. just sort of averting your glance. What I did find was that most of my neighbours used to come and knock on my door and say, Barbara, can you help us? This car is parked across my drive. Get them to move it. I said, I can't do that. I'm an actress. I'm not really a policewoman. No, no. (laughs) It was funny. Never think of doing no, that. No, I know. Oh, wow. But but the the whole fame thing, I, I suppose, I don't know if it touched any of us really because we used to go around together. Mm. So I never felt threatened. I mm. mean, you got the thing like if you went to the supermarket, people would say, hello. Yeah. Maybe not always realise why they're saying hello to you. They can't remember. Was it because of on the television? Or, oh, did, you know, did you go to the same school as me? Oh, yeah, so yeah. you end up by having lovely conversations with people everywhere. Well, this lovely conversation will continue in just a couple of weeks' time in part two of Barbara Thorne's The Bill podcast. Barbara's nominated charity, which we'll tell you more about in part two, is the Demelza Hospice Care for Children. They aim to provide the best care and support for seriously ill babies, children, young people and their families across East Sussex, Kent and South East London. You can read more and make a donation via demelza.org.uk. See you in a couple of weeks for more Fraser action. Then a whole load of more police come in their cars, screech up. I'm sitting in the back of the car and they say, who are you? Thinking I was probably the one that put the hammer in his head. And I said, oh, hello, I'm an actress. (laughs) 